Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash themoviewave. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. Audibletrial.com slash themoviewave. It's time to dive in the dirty waters of film criticism. Tricycle Radio presents The Movie Wave with Sergio Calvo. Hello everyone, uh, it's episode 14 of the Movie Wave podcast. Uh, I am Sergio Calvo, motion arts editor of Tricycle Magazine. Joining the show today, we have a film critic, Christopher Smale. How are you doing, Christopher? I'm doing great, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's great to have you on the show uh, in this uh, special episode because uh, it's actually <laughs> the anniversary of the, the podcast. Is it anniversary or anniversary? Oh. Anniversary. Perfect. I didn't know that. <laughs> anniversary. Uh, it's the anniversary of the podcast. We started just a year ago uh, in January 2011. And uh, we have only done 15 episodes so far. 16 episodes if we count this one. But to be honest, I'd rather doing just one episode uh, a month or every two, three weeks than just doing one a week. Because if we do one a week, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm rushing through things. And I want, I, I want this podcast to be, to have, you know, a good quality commentary, or at least we try to give a good quality commentary on films. And, yeah, uh, of course, that's and, definitely uh, the way to go. And also, I, I, I like it to be, I, I, I like it to be well packed with a good editing and uh, have a good final product. And besides that, yeah. everyone's pretty busy as well, so it's always hard to get everyone <laughs> podcast weekly. Uh, so today it's going to be just Chris and I going through uh, the uh, top ten movies of 2011. So each one of us is going to be, uh, give our particular list. And um, also I want to comment, that, uh, listening back to the last episode, I noticed that I had a bit of a scroogey attitude to, towards Christmas. I was a, a, bit, <laughs> a bit grumpy. So uh, my New Year's resolution, we can call it New Year's resolution. I never have any New Year's resolution, but uh, that, that would be to be a little bit more posit- positive. And uh, this time, uh, we won't have a hate list in our sh- uh, show. We won't go through the worst films of the year like we did on episode uh, one. However, we, we will pick our uh, biggest disappointment. Um, so if you're ready, Chris, uh, what's your number 10? Ready? Uh, my number 10 film is Beginners, uh, directed by Mike Mills. Very good. I haven't seen it, but it sounds good. Yeah, it was it was released uh, in, in the summer. And... Yes, it was it was a wonderful uh, small budget and little independent film with uh, Hugh McGregor and French actress Melanie Laurent and uh, Christopher Plummer in, in the roles. And it was uh, it's a very well very well written and directed film and with some beautiful photography. And I just it struck a chord with me and I really liked it. So yeah, that's my number ten beginners. This is two thousand and three. This is what the sun looks like and the stars. This is the president, and this is the sun in 1955, and the stars, and the president. My parents got married in 1955. They had a child, and they stayed married for 44 years until my mother died. Six months later, my father told me he was gay. I'm gay. I remember him wearing a purple sweater when he told me this, but actually he wore a robe. I'm gay. He was gay the whole time they were married. Oliver, I just met a girl. You point, I'll drive. This one. Oh, that's one for me to check it out because I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of films this year, actually, but I, I didn't get to see all these films that people are talking about, so I, I need to check it out. My number 10 is Source Code, and it's the only uh, the only blockbuster in my list. And, uh, for, for me, it was a big surprise because uh, when I watched it, uh, I knew it was made by Duncan Jones, who made the the film Moon, which was a bit Moon, more... Yeah. It was a bit more art house. He made that a few years ago, and uh, I think he he was marketed this, this source code. It was marketed as a big budget mainstream action film, and it surprised me because the the film is so much more than that. I, I don't want to say much uh, about it because uh, that would spoil the film. Uh, uh, but I can't say that it's about um, an American soldier who uh, kind of wakes up in, in the body of a. Of a stranger, of a unknown man uh, who is traveling in a train, and this train is targeted by by a bomber, and uh, there is this idea of the the second chances and uh, a lot of rep- repetition 
but the, I think it has a different approach to, to, to Groundhog Day that it's being compared to. And uh, here I think it's more suspenseful and uh, there is this uh, constant presence of uh, inevitable and imminent death. And uh, there is a moment in the, in the film that looks uh, kind of casual, but for me it's, I think it's the most important scene in the film. And I, I, I don't think this is a, a spoiler. It's just a little moment in the film in which a comedian is traveling in the train and he's challenged to make people laugh. And that, that little moment in the film, I think, encapsulates the, the carpe diem, the, the joy in, in life, the idea that, that life is too short. In the film, it's just eight, it's, it's eight, eight, just eight a, minutes. It's the, 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 the length of your life in the, in the film is... Uh, Eight minutes. So you know, we better make the most of it. How well do you know me? Not that well, apparently. Do you know me well enough that if I did something that looked a little strange and was maybe even a little bit dangerous, but I told you to trust me anyway, that you could do that? No. Wow, that was honest. You're beautiful. You're kind. And you're painfully honest. Who are you? What did you do with Sean Ventress? It's the new me. That's my uh, that's my number ten. What's your number nine, Chris? Uh, my number nine is the Tree of Life, um, directed by Terence Malick. Yes, I mean it was just such a such a huge event uh, in the year uh, for this year's film. I think I, I had to include it in my list. Um, yeah, it's to sum up the plot would take I think three hours, so I'm not going to attempt to. Um, to, to go into uh, great detail, but it's it's an extraordinary piece of cinema. I mean, it's there's nothing quite like it anywhere. Um, so yeah, that's my number nine film, The Tree of Life. I I, I agree with you, and actually going to get back to The Tree of Life uh, farther on in our list. Uh, I think it's I think it's a film that's made uh, a lot of top ten lists this year. Uh, yeah, I think a lot of critics will have it up there. It's uh, it, it's. Ex- Although, although there are a lot of people against it as well, a lot of people that uh, don't like it at all. But what? Yeah, I guess it's one of those films that kind of it can kind of polarize people. You know, some people just just definitely you yeah. either, either love it or hate it. <laughs> you love it or hate it, yeah, definitely. Right, and my number nine is Drive, and uh, I'm pretty sure it will be in your list. Uh, we'll we'll, yeah, we'll find out. Sure. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> uh, well, it's it's obviously uh, an, an, a style exercise, uh, let's say, in which uh, everything. All the elements of uh, filmmaking, from from the script to the music, photography, all, all the act, yeah. acting, all the action sequences, everything kind of blends perfectly. Uh, and a lot, a lot of have been said about the the style of the film. It's uh, very retro, and uh, there is this retro feel to it. And uh, you have yeah, this, very uh, neon lights, the 80s uh, music, the the pink uh, color uh, titles, and the uh, all, all, all the archetypes from the revenge movie, but I, I like to think of it more as a modern film because uh, I think this director, the, the Dan- Danish director, I don't know if you can pronounce his name, Nicholas Winfin Refn. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's his name. I think, how you pronounce it either. <laughs> I think it's, uh, he's as modern as uh, Tarantino is modern. Uh, it's, it's funny as Tarantino's modern because he, I think they both kind of blend all unfamiliar elements uh, to to create something new take something mm-hmm. that we've seen before many times and make something new out of it and uh, I think that's where he, he kind of succeeds and uh, I also like to praise uh, the acting in the film because we have Ryan Gosling actually we, I think this year we had Ryan <laughs> Gosling every week in a, yeah, in a new release <laughs> Like uh, like Michael Fass, what's his name? Michael Fassbender. Michael Fassbender, yeah. He he's on every week in a new release. Well, Ryan exactly, Gosling, yeah. I think his performance is uh, he 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 gives a very quiet performance. So it's very powerful and uh, yeah, it's, it has the, almost no dialogue. But the, it's, he, doesn't it's sp- he doesn't speak much. He has very short no. uh, sentences. Uh, but a lot of the acting in this film. Um, and I include Albert Brooks, which is funny to see him as a buddy in, the, in this film. But all the acting is very spot on. And I think what's yes. uh, most important is it, it, for me, the acting and uh, the film itself kind of transcends and it becomes very uh, memorable. Uh, another thing I love about this film is the, the love story, uh, because that's what it basically is. It's a, it's a love story. It's a platonic love story between the, the, the character that's played by Katie Mulligan and Ryan Gosling. And it's, yeah. it's kind of pure love that 
has a big contrast with the extreme violence that, that you get uh, surrounded. It's almost an unconventional love story, which I liked. Yeah, and I, I, it's, it's funny like how sometimes I get bothered by violence in films. Like I was watching recently, uh, what's the title? A Kill List. Is it called Kill List? Oh, I haven't seen that, no. And uh, I, I have really good things about it. And uh, I went to a point in the film that the violence got really explicit. I mm. had to stop it. I could, I could keep watching it. It's funny how in some films uh, it, the violence doesn't work for me, and in this film uh, I was quite happy with it. <laughs> I had absolutely, yeah, it was, absolutely it was no in problem. keeping with the tone. Yeah. Mm. So that's my number nine. Uh, Chris, what's your number eight? Uh, my number eight film is Melancholia. What star is that? Melancholia is just gonna pass right in front of us. I'm afraid of that planet. Dad said there's nowhere to hide. And he's forgotten about the magic. Another uh, another big art house hit this year, uh, directed by Lars von Trier. It was uh, it was a shame because the film was kind of overshadowed by uh, what happened at the Cannes Film Festival with, with his remarks. Really, that's a really um, shame. Yeah. yeah, I think that was sad because it, um, it's such a great film. It's it's very interesting, um, with a, an amazing uh, performance by Kristen Dunst and um, kind of anchoring the whole film. And um, again, it, it's it was a chance for her to kind of play play against type and do something she hadn't really done before. Um, and she won, of course, the, the Best Actress Award at the Cannes Film Festival. Yeah. Um, so, really so. Um, visually, the film is stunning. I mean, the, the opening sequence uh, is just a series of very slow motion um, photographic shots of, of dance, like walking through these medieval forests or um, around this castle. And it was it, very extraordinary. And, Visually, the film again is is uh, absolutely beautiful and a great cast as well. You know, it's got you know uh, the great French actress Charlotte Rampling and uh, Keith Sutherland, and so it's a bit un- unorthodox cast, but it works very well. Um, and Charlotte Gainsbourg, um, she's again, brilliant. She's, I, I love yeah, this film. She's, she's really good. This, this is her second film with uh, with Lars von Trier, and she's um, she's she's very good. You know, it's a very subtle, very kind of quiet performance, and um, it was very, very good. So yeah, number eight, Melancholia for me. Yeah, well, um, I, I'm gonna get back to melancholy later on. I, 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 know, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to interrupt you there, so uh, I, I get back to it later on because it's okay. farther on in my list. Um, <laughs> my number eight is the Green Wave. This is a film. Um, I, I think it was my favorite film of these years, uh, Edinburgh International Film Festival, uh, and it's about. Um, a movement, a reform uh, movement in Iran uh, in the summer of uh, 2009 that uh, they were, people were hoping to take out the president uh, Ahmadinejad and uh, replace him with a reformist, uh, the, a, a new candidate, uh, Musavi. And they were trying to, to do that through the democratic elections. But it, it all kind of indicated that the new candidate was going to win. But uh, a fixed election gave the victory to Ahmadinejad and the people of Iran uh, weren't too happy with this and they took the streets uh, in protest and they got very brutally repressed by the forces of the, of the government. So it's a very sad moment in the history of Iran. Uh, I think it left people, uh, uh, people from Iran very frustrated and very helpless because also it, uh, this was an, uh, a very sad time where they, they didn't get much international help. And I think this film is essential also for the understanding of uh, what's happening right now in the Arab world and uh, the importance also of the social media in the Arab uh, revolution, what they call the Arab Spring, yeah. and also the global revolution. My father always said we are part of a nation that has been searching for its lost voice for 150 years. And he said we've come quite close, we just have to reach out and we'll regain it. His generation often tried, but failed time after time. Then, it was our turn to try our luck. 
And for a few weeks, we had the feeling of being as close to our target as never before. Today, when I see the blood-smeared walls, I fear that once again it was nothing more than just an illusion. Basically, uh, a film about hope, uh, against, uh, the hope against repression, or hope against aggression uh, and disappointment. Uh, I thought it was a very important film, and um, I, I remember after the watching the film in the where was that in the film house? Uh, I, I was so blown away by the, by it. I had to go and shake the the hand of the director. Uh, so uh, I was, I was. Uh, definitely an impact on you. Man. It had to be impact on me, and I actually, uh, I think it's uh, quite an emotional uh, film. Uh, that was my number eight. Now your number seven, Chris. Uh, my number seven film is the only blockbuster on my list, and it is Thor. Actually, and um, probably not a. I don't think it'll appear in very many people's uh, top ten list. <laughs> It's almost a kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. Um, I'm a bit of a sucker for kind of Marvel uh, comic uh, film adaptations. Uh, so yeah, that's that's why it's on my list. I thought it was... That's Kenneth thought, Branagh, um, yeah. yeah, Kenneth Branagh. I think that was one of the most interesting things about the film, was the director of the show was Kenneth Branagh. I mean, obviously he's known for doing very uh, Shakespearean <laughs> works, both as actor and director. So it was very unconventional, and I really liked that. And it, it, the film, I think it pulled it off, you know? Oh, Odinson. You have betrayed the express command of your king. Through your arrogance and stupidity, you have opened these peaceful realms and innocent lives to the horror and desolation of war! Um, a great cast as well, you know, a recent Oscar winner Natalie Portman. And uh, she was in the film, and rising British star Tom Hiddleston. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the set pieces which, and the action set pieces are so crucial to these kind of big budget um, Hollywood blockbusters, and they were very well orchestrated. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say about Thor. Yeah, Thor number seven. Right, uh, that's, that's one I'm going to have to check out. Uh, uh, I didn't want to watch it because uh, I've seen so many superhero films that I kind of got saturated yeah, by them. It's been in the last decade. But so it, many. Uh, I, I'm hearing a lot of good things about Thor, and I also I, I'm intrigued because it's got Kenneth Branagh behind the the camera, so that that might be interesting. So I will check it out. Yeah, go, give it a go. Right, uh, my number seven is Tabloid, and that's a film we discussed uh, on our last episode. Uh, and it's Errol, Errol Morris's new documentary film. Uh, it tells the story of uh, Joyce McKinney, who 30 years ago was accused of kidnapping and raping an American Mormon missionary. Uh, in Britain, it was, it was a huge, uh, massive uh, tabloid story. I also it created a kind of a battle between the Daily Mirror and the Daily Express. Uh, and But if we watch the film, you realize it's not so much about tabloids. I think it's more about the, let's say, the slippery nature of the truth. Because you, you watch in the film and you're thinking, what, what, what really happened? And then you realize that it doesn't matter because it makes for a great story, or at least it makes for a great tabloid story. Which happens to yeah, I think the, the, the headline of the film wasn't like um, truth sometimes strange in the fiction. You know, it's such a, an incredible story. You kind Absolutely. of almost think that it's made up, but it, it, it's a real story. Absolutely. And it's, and it's, a, it's a love story. <laughs> but it's, a, it's a really twisted, uh, crazy, wacky love story. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's both funny and it's sad. And, uh, you know, as you said, uh, whatever the truth is, it is stranger than fiction. Yeah. So that's that's my number seven. Uh, what's your number six? Uh, my number six film is Archipelago, and um, was directed by Joanna Hogg. Uh, a very kind of a very small uh, British film. I don't think it was seen very much, uh, which was a shame because it's it's an extraordinary film. It's really really well made. Um, it, it's about a um, a well-off British family that that goes on a holiday um, to the islands of um, to, to these islands off the British coast. Um, 
uh, and it, it's kind of an examination of kind of the British class system and and the characters that she creates in the film are, are very believable and they're um, yeah it's a great film visually very stunning very good archipelago is it here? Um, yeah. Whatever you'd like, darling. Do you want to go look out the window? Should we go? Let's go this one. Yeah, nice to have a view, isn't it? It's looking a bit bleak. If you always cook them like that. As you bring the water up to a boil, they will automatically fall into a coma, basically. And then they'll die peacefully. Right, we have very different titles in our in our list. Yeah, so that, I think no, that's, that's more yeah. interesting. Yeah, definitely. I heard I heard of Archipelago, uh, and that's one I had to check out. Uh, so uh, I, I write that down for, uh, for movie, okay. movies <laughs> movies to watch. Uh, my my number six is uh, Take Shelter. I I don't know if you heard of it. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, Michael Shannon and Jesse Chastain. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, it, it it pretty much deals with the issue of the of, of mental illness. You know, all the oh. s stigma, all the ignorance surrounding the the issue of the mental illnesses, and also the the embarrassment and the torture that the uh, victims of uh, mental illnesses have, and all the devastating effects that it has in people's lives. As devastating as a tornado, actually. Not a word. You didn't say one word about this to me. Don't you think you owe me that? Don't you think that you might respect me enough to at least consider what I'd have to say? No, I didn't want you worrying about it. Well, I'm worried, Curtis. How are you paying for all that? I got a home improvement loan from the bank. Michael Shannon, we we have seen him play in uh, similar characters before. Uh, we saw him uh, in a Revolutionary Road and uh, My Song, My Song, What Have You Done? Uh, yes. uh, but I, I think there are a lot of different kinds of uh, crazy. And in this case, I think he, he delivers a very precise, a very intense, and also very heartbreaking performance. Uh, probably, probably one of the best performances of the year, if not the best. So just for him, just for um, uh, Michael Shannon, I think it's worth watching. Just for uh, that's my number six, right? Uh, Chris, what's your number five? Uh, my number five film is Mina in Paris, um, right. a Woody Allen film. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, one of the most amazing things uh, about the film is obviously because. Woody Allen's most recent output of the decade has been uh, fairly mixed. You know, he's had some uh, pretty shocking, shocking films. So this came as came along as such a, a lovely surprise. It's it's very romantic. Uh, it's very sweet. It's got the a gorgeous setting. You know, um, Paris um, and the city is shot beautifully. Um, it's got a great cast. You know, French actors Marion Cotillard and Owen Wilson and Rich McAdams. Um, its story is, is is wonderful as well. Uh, Owen Wilson plays a struggling, oh well, not struggling, uh, an established screenwriter on holiday with his fiance in the city, and he kind of discovers this time portal uh, back to kind of the Paris of uh, Paris of the twenties, which he idolizes greatly, and um, which is it's a wonderful story and it's very well made and it's a great Woody Allen film. Well, a toast to John's new business venture oh. here. Yeah. Cheers. 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 Congratulations. Thank you. Well, I'll be perfectly frank. I'm excited about this corporate merger between our folks and the French company, but otherwise, I'm not a big Francophile. John hates their politics. There's certainly been no friend of the United States. 
Well, I mean, you can't exactly blame them for not following us down that rabbit's hole in Iraq with the whole oh, bush. Oh, please, let's number. not get into that honey, discussion honey, we're not again. Getting it, it, by the way, it's fine for your father and I to disagree. That's what a democracy is. Your father defends the right wing of the Republican Party, and I happen to think you've almost got to be like a demented lunatic. Okay, but it's like, okay. You know, but but it, we, it doesn't mean we don't respect each other's views. Am I right? We we had a, recently we had a discussion on uh, on this film in the in the podcast and I remember um, Susanna and Mark were uh, very much bothered by the intricacies of uh, of time travel in the film or the the, the way yeah, time I mean, travel happens. I don't think it's not a believable uh, <laughs> representation of time travel. It's uh, it's definitely kind of a fantasy, but it's it's very well made. Yeah, and uh, another another thing I like to point out uh, a lot of people are saying that Midnight in Paris is the best film that Woody Allen has made in 15 years I, I, I liked a lot of his latest films uh, I know there were a, a few of them that were really really crap let's say but I yeah, I, sure. I, I, I really liked uh, Match Point for example I know there is a lot of hate for that film as well but I really liked uh, Match Point and I liked um, I think Vicky Cristina Barcelona is. Uh, yeah, that's not one of his great films. That that was very that was very good. Very good. Uh, I like I like that one, and I, fu- I find it really funny, and really really charming. Uh, but it, these these two titles have divided people a lot. I think Midnight in Paris is one film that at last has uh, everyone together uh, liking it. So yeah, uh, there is no hate for this one. Or maybe everyone likes Paris in in the midnight. Possibly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my number five is uh, a separation, and uh, it's an ir- Iranian film. Another one in my list. Uh, it's about a separation of a couple uh, and the broken family that is left behind when the mother moves out of the house. And uh, it, I think it's a, a lot more. It's about a lot more than that. I think what. what fascinated me about this film is uh, the strength that the characters have and also the the strength that they have to confront problems and get on with life and they have a lot of problems and a lot of uh, situations they have to deal with uh, and um, you know to get on it with life they ha- uh, a lot of things get in between like culture and uh, religion but I was yeah. very, very amazed to see how um, whatever the cultural religious boundaries are how much uh, I empathized with the characters. How much they felt like people like me, or like or like you, or like any anyone that I ever yeah. knew, I have ever, <laughs> ever met. Uh, so that's where the film succeeds, and it's it's so much also about the the human condition. So that it's it's very hard not not to be moved by by this film. I think it's a great film, and I I really recommend it for people to check it out. I know it sounds it might put, put it might put the uh, people off because you know it's an Iranian film. And it has subtitles, but you know, uh, give it a go. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I haven't seen it, but it, it sounds really interesting. I'm gonna gonna check that film out. That separation. Right now that you go to number five, we're gonna have a wee break, uh, and we're gonna talk a little bit about tricycle. Uh, some of you probably probably noticed uh, the issue number eight that we were. Um, uh, talking about and, and the, the last few episodes, it never it never actually came out, and the the magazine is on a standstill right now. But Tricycle is not over, and uh, the website is still up and running and very alive. Uh, so you can uh, read all the issues of uh, all the issues so far of Tricycle magazine free at tricycle.co.uk. You can also find reviews of. Uh, the Deep Blue Sea by Christopher Smale and, <laughs> and also Mark Greger's uh, glorious TV column uh, it's uh, always very funny uh, so I really recommend people to check it out and we have a lot of more reviews uh, coming out soon um, inc- including reviews of The Artist and The Iron Lady so uh, I recommend uh, listeners to keep an eye for that you can subscribe to the movie way for iTunes and every new episode will be automatically downloaded to your PC or iPhone if you like the show leave us a good rating on iTunes it will help us spreading the word about the show you can also leave us some comments on Facebook see on our Facebook uh, page at facebook.com slash the movie wave and you will get notified about new reviews and you will get regular updates on all the movie action there is something for everyone. 
Now let's have a let's have a little break and we'll be back with the rest of our top 10 films of 2011. With your feet in the air and your head on the ground. Charlie's trip and spin it. Yeah. Your head will collapse because there's nothing in You ask yourself, where is my mind? Where is my mind? Where is my If you like listening to our show, but you, you want more, what about an audiobook? Like our podcast, an audiobook can be listened on the go, on the way to work, on the bus, at the gym, in your bed. For you, the listeners of the Movie Wave, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial to give you a chance to check out their service. On this episode, I would like to personally recommend Brian Selznick's The Invention of Hugo Cabret, This is the book that inspired Martin Scorsese's latest film, uh, Love Letter to Cinema, Hugo. He's an orphan, clockkeeper and thief. Hugo lives in the walls of a busy Paris train station where his survival depends on secrets and anonymity. But when his world suddenly interlocks with an eccentric bookish girl and a bitter old man who runs a toy booth in the station, Hugo's undercover life and his most precious secret are put in jeopardy. From his perch behind the clock, Hugo could see everything. He rubbed his fingers nervously against the small notebook in his pocket and told himself to be patient. The old man in the toy booth was arguing with the girl. She was about Hugo's age, and he often saw her go into the booth with a book under her arm and disappear behind the counter. The old man looked agitated today. Had he figured out some of his toys were missing? Well... There was nothing to be done about that now. Hugo needed the toys. The old man and the girl argued some more, and finally she closed her book and ran off. Thankfully, within moments, the old man had crossed his arms in front of him and closed his eyes. Hugo crept through the walls, came out through an air vent, and hurried down the hall until he reached the toy booth. Nervously, he rubbed the notebook one last time, then cautiously lowered his hand around the wind-up toy he wanted. A cryptic drawing, a treasured notebook, a stolen key, a mechanical man, and a hidden message from Hugo's dead father formed the backbone of this intricate, tender, and spellbinding mystery. You can get Brian Selznick's The Invention of Hugo Capre or, or any other audiobook of your choice free by trying audible.com. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash themoviewave. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash themoviewave for your free audiobook. You are listening to The Movie Wave. Right, we are back and uh, we are getting to the, our top of 2011. Uh, we are right now on number four. What's your number four, Chris? Uh, my number four film is The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mm. Yeah, um, just recently released, um, so it's a, a new edition. Um, I, I imagine I you're I'll... talking about uh, David, Fitt, David Fincher's version. Yes, right. so, yeah, this confusion. Yeah, it's David Fincher's uh, version of uh, Stick Parsons' um, Millennium Trilogy. Um, yeah, the film is like the original Swedish version. Uh, it's very dark and quite disturbing, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of graphic violence, uh, which will will put people off. And um, I don't think the fact that it was released uh, at Christmas kind of helped it. I uh, may explain the kind of its uh, box office takings, which haven't been as good as people um, 
uh, I had hoped for. Uh, but it's it's a, a truly great film. It's a, a very good adaptation. And um, I think people have been um, very keen to compare the two films, the, the original Swedish version and um, uh, Fincher's film. Um, I mean, they both have a lot of merit, and I think they're both um, wonderful films. Um, but I do, I think I do prefer uh, Fincher's uh, version of the of, of the book, though. Uh, at the heart of it, um, Rooney Mara's performance as Lupus Slander is uh, a true work of art. She's very, very good, um, very, very good in the role, um, and the cinematography is is very good. Um, it's the film was obviously shot in Sweden, where the book is set, and. Um, yeah, it's they capture the the, the beauty of Sweden <laughs> very well in the film. Uh, yeah, so the girl with the dragon tattoo is my number number four. No one here particularly likes her. I find it's much better if she works from home. But you told her I wanted to meet with her. But I've told her many more times I prefer her not to meet clients. You like her very much. She's one of the best investigators I have, as you saw from her report. But? She's different. Uh, in what way? In every way. I guess that uh, by, by having David Fincher behind the camera, it's probably going to be much more stylish than the original. I haven't seen any of them. Yeah, it's, I it's a very stylish film and it also has an amazing uh, title sequence uh, which is you should see that you should go to the film just to see the title sequence it's what? wonderful <laughs> I, I, while do, I'm going to check the original Swedish version first and then I'll, I'll, I'll watch uh, David Fincher's one I, I'm, I'm, I'm always uh, I'm always been a big fan of David Fincher so I can't wait to check it out my number four is Hugo and uh, this Martin Scorsese's film uh, it's, it's based in a novel uh, by Brian Selznick uh, it was uh, marketed uh, pretty much as a children's movie and that's something that um, w- when I watched the, tra- the trailer uh, in the theater the first time uh, it kind of put me off a bit uh, mm-hmm. it was like what's, what's Scorsese doing making a children's movie this is crazy it's gonna be a mess and then it has Borat in it it's gonna be a mess but then, then I watched the film and I completely completely changed my mind uh, I I think uh, also it's a 3D film I must say and I think the 3D presentation couldn't be more appropriate for the kind of film that, that is uh, and in fact I think the 3D is very well achieved uh, the film starts with Scorsese taking Scorsese's camera taking us through a very busy train station in Paris with a very spectacular shot of a very, very calculated precision and a kind of a mechanical rhythm uh, into it. What we don't expect is that the film turns out to be about uh, films, particularly about uh, Georges Méliès, who's uh, one of the most important uh, pioneers in the early yes, yes. In, in silent <laughs> cinema. And now silent cinema is getting popular again with the artists. Uh, it's, it's not going to be in my, my list because I haven't seen it yet. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, in, the, in, in Hugo we get to, to see the Lumiere brothers at the very birth of cinema. We have uh, excerpts of the uh, arrival of a train at the station, uh, uh, which is a film that when it was shown at the time it, it felt very real and uh, the audiences were really shocked, and they ran away, thinking that they they, they were gonna get uh, they were gonna get run over by a train. And also, uh, you have a little bit of workers living in the Lumiere factory, and uh, it's uh, it's something that's gonna fascinate a lot of viewers who are interested in cinema. And uh, uh, you know, you get this. Uh, cameos of the Lumiere brothers who are actually the opposite of uh, Méliès because uh, the Lumieres, the, what they did they, they did like documentary films uh, Méliès is more the opposite uh, I think he represents more the artifice of, in, in cinema we see uh, in the film that his actual background is magic and with the uh, help of the special effects, the, the visual effects, he's, he's the one who brings magic to the, to the art of cinema but if you think about it, uh, cinema itself is a magic trick because uh, you know it's, it's just basically a se- series of uh, still photographs that pr- they are projected uh, to the speed of 40 
to what's the speed 24 frames per second <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's 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 our eyes that uh, of by uh, a little error in our retina the, there's this illusion of movement or motion that's uh, why, why it's called the motion pictures so it's a, it's a, it's about cinema, both about the past, uh, the beginning uh, in cinema, and also about the future because you have uh, technology advancing and uh, uh, Scorsese himself embracing technology. And uh, the, I think uh, the the past uh, is not so much in nostalgic terms, it, although it is nostalgic, but it's more uh, in the sense that I think it, it, he reclaims the importance of film history and the importance of preserving uh, films for the future generations. And uh, I think uh, embracing technology is essential to move forward uh, in the way that we tell stories. Right after my father died, I'd come up here a lot. I'd imagine the whole world was one big machine. Machines never come with any extra parts, you know. They always come with the exact amount they need. So I figured if the entire world was one big machine, I couldn't be an extra part. I had to be here for some reason. And that means you have to be here for some reason too. I think this film uh, explores pretty much the mechanics of cinema and also the mechanics of uh, magic or how magic war works. And... Uh, uh, also the mechanics of the world in which uh, he is trying to find his place uh, and in some way Scorsese himself because uh, if uh, uh, Scorsese when he was a kid he was asthmatic and he he you know uh, he found uh, refuge in the in the movies so it's a it's basically a family film uh, I wouldn't call it a children's movie but it's a family film I think it might appeal more to the a more mature audience uh, more particularly to the uh, people who either have studied cinema or are fascinated fascinated with the history of cinema. Uh, I personally love this film. Uh, I'm not going to go on for longer than this, but I really <laughs> like the uh, Hugo. Uh, what's your number three, Chris? Uh, my number three film is Black Swan. I had the craziest dream last night about a girl who was turned into a swan, but her prince falls for the wrong girl and she kills herself. Uh, I wasn't sure whether to include this on the list because, you know, it was kind of released late 2010, early 2011. But uh, I saw it That's that cheating. So that's cheating. <laughs> well, that's, that's absolutely fine. Yeah, uh, so yeah, Black Swan, um, a wonderful, wonderful film. It's, uh, it's almost cinema as, as opera, you know, it's so, the film's so over the top. Um, it really works with the the tone of the film. You know, it's set in the world of uh, the New York City ballet, and um, so you get these wonderful scenes, like this back uh, behind the scene, behind the scenes um, of like the dancers, you know, being very kind of bitchy and competing for like the the top roles, um, and that and um, at the heart is a an Oscar performance by Natalie Portman, and she's truly great, and she's wonderful in the film, uh, great performance, and um, yeah, and. Um, Again, there's some great set pieces uh, in the film. You know, uh, the final ballet, you know, it's a performance of Swan Lake. And so all the sets and the costumes, it's it's beautiful to look at. And it's, the music as well is also very good. And Clint Mansell, who, who scores a lot of Darren, Aros Darren Aronofsky's films. And the, it, it's, uh, again, it's like the tone of the film, it's, it's a bit over the top. It's, um, but it, it works and it's, it's a truly great film. And yeah, so my number three, Black Swan. And it's also a very scary film. Uh, yes, exactly. There's, there's a great scene where everyone kind of almost like grows bird legs and she hallucinates, and it's it's very weird and trippy, but it's it's stunning. And it's scary and, and sexy. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, what, what, what else can you ask for? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's a that's your number. That was number, number three. three. Black Swan. Yeah. Right. My number three is uh, Melancholia. 
uh, and that's uh, of course Last Frontier's film. Uh, it's uh, pretty much about depression and and the end of the world. And uh, I, th I think this is Von Trier at his best. You know, uh, I, I always like Von Trier. I've always been a huge fan of his movies, movies, uh, including uh, the, the controversial Antichrist. I was a huge fan of that film. And uh, this film, you know, as you said, it has a great performance by Kirsten Dunst, and I think also Charlotte Gainsbourg. She was a bit. Uh, People were more focused on Kirsten Dunst acting, but uh, the underrated Charlotte Gainsbourg uh, performance, which, which I think is brilliant. And I, I think it has two parts. Uh, the first one is more based on the story of uh, Kirsten Dunst, or more focused on the character of Kirsten Dunst, and the second more based on the character of Charlotte Gainsbourg and how they both uh, react to these uh, uh, different events going on in the beginning. The, the wedding and in the second part the end of the world uh, for a Kirsten dance the, the wedding is pretty much the end of the world so with the, yeah. the, the, the the film starts with the you know we are in, introduced to a very wealthy family and uh, it's no casual that they are actually wealthy I think trying to make a point about you know how all this materialism is uh, has no meaning in the in the end and uh, the film, this this first part with the wedding and the celebration, reminded me pretty much of uh, uh, another film, uh, Celebration Festin. This is the Dogma 95 film. Here, Von Trier takes a bit of a different direction. I think it's more... There, there is some dark humor in it. It's a bit uh, more humorous. Uh, definitely more uh, visually, um, let's say, mesmerizing. Very operatic as well. Very, uh, very noisy. Uh, and it's, it's kind of wrapped in a very existential pessimism that makes the, the film very dark, but also uh, kind of profound too. So uh, it's a, it's a very dark vision of a visionary filmmaker, a, a, a dark filmmaker. That's a, and, a, and also a very controversial filmmaker. That's the last one, Trier. And it's a shame uh, that we're not gonna hear uh, from him in a while because. He decided not to talk to the press anymore after the last scandal at Cannes. So that's a shame. Yeah. It's always fun to hear uh, like Von Trier talking. He always gives crazy ideas, <laughs> yeah. Right, what's your number two, uh, Chris? Uh, my number two film is Heartbeats. Um, or its original French title was Le Moi Imaginaire, uh, but it was released uh, as Heartbeats. Um, it's directed by Xavier Durand, who's a, a very talented, uh, he's only 22 years old, uh, French-Canadian uh, filmmaker and actor. Uh, another small film wasn't seen very much, I don't think. Um, it was given a very kind of small release earlier this year, which was a shame because it's, it's, um, it's a wonderful film. Um, at the heart of it, it's a story of um, uh, these two friends, two best friends, um, one male, one female, and they both fall in love with the same man uh, who moves to town, the film set in uh, Montreal. Uh, it almost plays out like Trofa's um, Jules Le Gym, you know, um, as, the, as these three people kind of uh, dance around each other, and they're, they're also um, they're very young and, and beautiful and very stylish, and they're very kind of hipster-like, and so no one kind of acknowledges their own uh, feelings, no one just kind of like, you know, says they, uh, they love each other, which is um, which is interesting. Uh, it's very, very stylish. The the music, the soundtrack, uh, and and the cinematography and the costumes. It's uh, it's it's you know the, the palette. It's very kind of like candy colored. It's it's beautiful. Um, yeah, heartbeats. My number two film. Check it out. Very, very good. for me to check out my my checkout list is getting bigger <laughs> right uh, my number two um, I'm not gonna cheat here uh, my number two was meant to be Dogtooth <laughs> until I found out that the film was actually released uh, in 2000 oh yeah in 2010 yeah. the year before uh, so um it can be confusing with release dates, you know. Sometimes they're very, it's very confusing. Also, because uh, 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 films they uh, they have a different release date in every uh, in every country, and uh, maybe it came out uh, years ago in Greece and comes out uh, much later on in. in uh, yeah, it was released uh, two years ago in Cannes, so it's a bit of a mess. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, it's such a shame. I wanted this to be my number two, and but uh, I, 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 I st- you know, I still it's not going to be my number two. But I still think that Dog Tooth is the the best film that we have discussed in the show so far. Uh, it was a very disturbing uh, horror tale, and uh, I think it, it's a very challenging film, uh, and it's a I would call it an anti-establishment socio-political allegory. Oh, that's the way I read it. Although uh, some of the, the 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 people discussing the show with me maybe didn't agree. Or uh, uh, everyone sees different things in uh, in films, and uh, that's what makes uh, film criticism fun and interesting. But uh, we had a lot of fun discussing this film on the show, and uh, we all have our views uh, and uh, our readings about the film. And uh, for me, it was uh, it's a fantastic film, and it blew me away. And that we have made by number two, but it's not my number two, my nem- actual number two. That's not fair. <laughs> I, I, I know it's not fair. I wanted to talk about it. Though. Uh, my actual number two is the skin I live in. And we we also talk about yeah. this film in the in the show, and this is Pedro Almodovar's uh, film. Uh, his, his take on the horror genre, but it's not what you uh, you expect from a horror movie. I think it, it it has a lot of the themes that Almodovar had had already explored, like you know desire and passion and perversion. But this time, I think he goes much darker, and uh, he has Antonio Banderas playing the. A very obsessive and abusive plastic surgeon who is seeking revenge. Uh, you know, it's all about identity and uh, how inaccessible is the the inner self, or how how you cannot change the surface, or you can change the the surface, but you cannot change the inside, the, this part of you that is uh, intangible. That and uh, it, 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 I found it very unpredictable. Uh, you never know uh, what's going to come next, and. Uh, it's kind of messy when you start watching it, but then later on, like everything seems to make more and more sense. So it's very—it's a very rich film. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very tense, uh, very emotional. So it's a kind of a puzzle, uh, you know. And what, what I like about puzzles is when, in the end, all all the pieces come together, and, and it does in this film. So it's it's a, it's a great work by one of the masters of cinema, in my opinion. Uh, and that's why it makes uh, my number two. And now we get to the number one. Uh, so, <laughs> Chris, what's your number one? My number one film of 2011 is Drive. And which was your, what number was of yours? Was it? in my list? It was number nine. Yes. Number nine. Yeah. Yeah, so Drive, yeah, my film of the year. Uh, it was always going to be Drive. I just, after seeing the cinema, I just I had a smile on my face for like the next few weeks. It was just, <laughs> so, <laughs> very, very good film. It's, um, it's, it's so slick. It's so 80s. It's so stylish. And um, like you mentioned before, the, the acting is a very high quality. Ryan Gosling, you know, you, you achieve so much um, so much emotion and, and passion without actually, you know, saying any words. It's just his face, and he has this, he always has, you know, he has this blank look in his face the entire film, but it still conveys so much, uh, so much feeling. And, and Carrie Mulligan's also very, uh, very good in the film, almost playing a kind of against, uh, against type. Um, another kind of wonderful uh, title sequence at the start, where you have those kind of neon, um, neon city shots of LA and the, the bright pink font and color of the, of the text and, and the pumping 80s beats. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a very, very stylish film. And um, with a lot of, yeah, like a girl dragon tattoo, a lot of violence that kind of comes out of nowhere. So, you know, heads get blown off and uh, people get hammers to the head. I mean, it's, it, it, it takes you back, but, um, a, a wonderful film. If I drive for you, you give me a time and a place. I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes, and I'm yours, no matter what. I don't sit in while you're running it down. I don't carry a gun. I drive. It's definitely my film of the year. Drive. Excellent, excellent. It is. It is. It is a great film. Drive. Well, my number. My number one is. Uh,
the Tree of Life. Uh, I did talk about it quite a lot in uh, one of the episodes <laughs> of the podcast. Uh, I went on uh, for quite a while. Uh, so I'm going to be brief. But I like to say that, you know, it, it blew me away. It's, uh, you know, it's Terrence Malick's... Uh, uh, he doesn't make many films, but uh, I think it's better when people take time before making a film. Mm. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a meditation. Uh, it's a meditation on the meaning of life. Uh, uh, there is, there's been a lot of discussion about this film. You know, a lot of people accuse it of uh, being uh, messy and very. For some people, it's very flawed. Uh, I, I, I not, not only I disagree. In fact, I think it's uh, his best film yet. Uh, and I loved it because uh, you know it's so ambitious, and I really appreciate um, uh, ambitious films, and also very life-affirming uh, because you know it's got a great message there about you know, making peace with death, and uh, which in some ways making peace with life too. So it's a big themes there that he's dealing with, and they are presented the, the way they deserve, you know, big. And I, and I like its beauty and you know how haunting it is and it stays with you for for uh, for days for weeks and uh, it never goes away and uh, I had to watch it again you know I, I watched it twice in the theater because uh, and I can't wait to watch it again it's that kind of that kind of film and uh, and of course you know it's got dinosaurs in it and that always makes a film better <laughs> <laughs> definitely <laughs> so the tree of life this is uh, my uh, uh, this, uh, my favorite film of the year and I think it's an absolute masterpiece there are two ways through life the way of nature and the way of grace mother always you wrestle inside me always you will someday we'll fall down and weep understand it all all things I have uh, honorable mentions as well uh, we, we both have honorable mentions my honorable um, the, my list of honorable mentions are the are, are these uh, following titles I'm gonna go through the through them quickly Martha Mercy May Marlin the Ides of March marching cold rise of the planet of the Apes which uh, I think it makes uh, a great double bill with uh, Project Nim. The Guard, yeah, uh, a comedy, a very, very funny Irish comedy, The Guard. Uh, Life in a Day, which I recommend uh, to watch it in uh, YouTube. If you're going to watch it, watch it in YouTube. You can watch it free and it's legal. Uh, then Wing Wenders Pina, which I didn't get to, three, to see on 3D, but uh, still I thought it was fantastic. Another Earth. Uh, that we talked about in our last episode along with uh, Tabloid and also Calve and Convento with uh, two inspiring films uh, whose makers I had the pleasure to interview here for the podcast so th- those are my honorable mentions which, which are yours uh, Chris Okay, uh, my honorable mentions uh, are uh, as follows uh, Rabbit Hole uh, from Nicole Kidman uh, Submarine uh, Troll Hunter, which was a very <laughs> strange uh, faux Norwegian uh, monster monster pick, uh, which was one of a kind. So there's Fantastic. that. Uh, Jane Eyre, pardon? Fantastic Troll Hunter, Fantastic. Yes, yes, it, it, was, it was so strange. I, I've got a weird. huge poster in my room of Troll Hunter. Oh, excellent! Yeah, I had a really good poster. Yeah, uh, I was at Jane Eyre um, in a Better World, which won the, the Academy Award for Best uh, Foreign Film last year and um, Arietti which is the latest film from the, the genius uh, Japanese animated animation house uh, Studio Ghibli um, my, my Week with Marilyn uh, with, with Michelle Williams and I also have Another Earth which I agree is a, a wonderful wonderful film so those are my honorable mentions alright excellent well, now, now that we've gone through the top 10 list, uh, we're not going to go through the bottom to- bottom 10, but we're going to pick our biggest disappointment, uh, that film that we uh, put so many expectations on, and uh, our view, it did not deliver. So, Chris, what's your biggest disappointment of the year? Uh, my biggest disappointment of the year was uh, Restless, directed by Gus Van Sant. Uh, he's one of my favorite directors. He's, he's really genius, and... 
his previous films are uh, he was cross characters are so raw and such great stories you know like my own private idaho and mm-hmm. kind of like the the lost youth and like that the his character is always kind of like outside the fringes of society you know hustlers and everything and i greatly admire his work but this this film uh, it kind of sits in with his his work can be split into kind of two categories like his uh, hollywood films and his kind of very independent films this is definitely one of his more kind of hollywood pictures and um it's very kind of very saccharine and just it just felt like a hipster hipster film um yeah i just was very disappointed with it i didn't like it at all It's restless. All right, I think I think right. it disappointed uh, not just you, it disappointed a lot of people. Uh, mm. Maybe I won't check it out. <laughs> my my <laughs> biggest my biggest disappointment of the year is one of the most acclaimed films of the year, actually, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Uh, oh, really? You know, and I know it's, it's a critically it's critically acclaimed film, uh, but uh, it bored me. Uh, maybe <laughs> I don't know. Maybe because I'm a bit sick and I didn't know what was going on. Uh, I still don't know what happened in that film. It's and a very confusing film. Very confusing. Yeah. And I usually like challenging films. You know, films uh, in which no everything is explained. You have to be active and you know figure things uh, out by yourself. Uh, yeah. I think what bothered me about this film the most uh, what's it's. Uh, turned down tone it's very turned down it's not very hypened it's very cold uh, emotionless uh, and I'm aware that this is all very deliberate uh, but you know it, it, I ended up very indifferent to it uh, you know it's also been recognized for its look and uh, its th- the, the style and uh, I was bothered by the style to be honest uh, I think there is there is a production design uh, has a lot of attention to detail and all that, but to me at, at times it looked a bit like a BBC TV drama. And you know, if you think about it, it, it was actually uh, a BBC TV drama in, in on the first place because it's a, it's a yeah, remake. Of the, exactly. So it, well, it's, it's not definitely a bad movie, uh, but uh, but I, it didn't. Um, I didn't buy it. Oh, it's, 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 it, maybe it's not for me. So yeah. um, that's my disappointment. Uh, so I, I, I think that's a. We we had a great year. I don't know. I've seen so many films. I think I've seen more films than any other year. And maybe it's because there are, there was so much to choose from and so so many great films. I I have picked a lot of films that say a lot of. Uh, have a lot to say about I know it sounds very uh, pretentious but it does say all these films that this year they say a lot about life and death and all these things past uh, present future and they all dealing big with these big themes and uh, I think that you know uh, most of them uh, I think they escaped this pretentiousness and I, I think they managed to illustrate big ideas in a very honest way and a very artistic way Uh, and um, it's also been a year when um, 3D has been dominating our, our screens and when filmmakers like Ving Wenders or Werner Herzog or Martin Scorsese they have embraced uh, this new technology and explored uh, the possibilities of 3D and it is, it's something uh, I still believe in and I have a lot of hope in and uh, I hope it, uh, they keep making 3D films I think it's awesome uh, It's also been a year when filmmakers uh, have been taking uh, a different twist in, on uh, on genre films, particularly on the horror horror genre. You you were mentioning uh, in your list uh, Black Swan. Uh, uh, for me, it was pretty much a horror film, uh, a different twist to the to the horror film. And this year we had the skin I live in or Red State, and uh, we need to talk about Kevin. But uh, there are only two films that. <laughs> Funnily, uh, they, they have literally given me nightmares, uh, and none of them are horror films. Uh, <laughs> one of them is contagious. Sure, a lot of them are kind of psychological, you know, psychological yeah. films that kind of in your head. I, and I still don't understand, but uh, one of them is contagion. Uh, in the dream, I was part of the team that tries to control, you know, the fire, <laughs> the spreading of the virus and all that. Yeah, and, like uh, the, the bird flu. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's funny to have nightmares about. But the other film was Wall Street 2. <laughs> so in the, like, in, I never saw that. In the dream, uh, you know, the world was dominated by corporate greed. 
And then I woke up yeah. and I found myself in a world dominated by corporate greed. So, <laughs> so I guess we all live in the night. That's the real nightmare. <laughs> I, I think I think we can uh, I think we can wrap it up. Uh, I don't know if you, Chris, have something else to add up here. Uh, what's uh, your uh, general opinion on how this year was? 2011 was. Was it a good yeah, year? I was very, yeah, very very impressed with the uh, with the cinema in 2011. I, I I think like you, I went to more films this year than I had in any previous year. So that's always a good sign. So yeah, I've I've high hopes for 2012. So a great year for film. Excellent. Uh, we hope we hope to have a. Uh, more good films uh so well uh i think that's it uh thank you chris for uh for joining us uh on the, the movie wave it's been a pleasure having you i hope i hope you come in back again some other time um yes it's been a pleasure thank you for having me and and this is it basically for episode uh, 16 already of the movie wave uh, for more uh, film reviews you can go to tricycle.co.uk where you can read all the issues of tricycle magazine for free on your PC or your laptop, your iPhone or your iPad. Tricycle Magazine is now responsible for the content of this program and all opinions and views expressed on the show are solely of the individuals. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be surfing the wave soon. podcast is a production of Calvinet Entertainment for Tricycle Magazine. Find out more at tricycle.co.uk. That's T-R-I-S-I-C-K-L-E.co.uk. Hey.